Welcome everybody to uh, Cold World Podcast, this is episode three. As you can see, I have my, well, first of all, he's my VFL brother, Fred White, but he's also, he, he's one of my, one of the, you know, the best friends I have in this world. And it's a, it's a pleasure to sit down and talk to him. I know we, we have some of these conversations a lot. We talk about everything under the sun, um, but you know, sometimes it's, so that's the things we probably haven't unpacked, talked about that we're just going to get into. I, I want to get a chance to, everybody knows, most people know Deuce, but I want to get them introduced to Fred White as well. So I know Deuce is, is, is Knoxville renowned, Georgia renowned, but we want to introduce everybody to Fred White as well. Because um, I think that he's, he's respected, loved and appreciated by fans, his teammates for what he did on the field. I still think he's a little bit underrated for what he did while he was at Tennessee, but I definitely know he's underappreciated and not acknowledged enough for what type of person he is off the field and what he does for people and just what he does in Knoxville, what he does at home in Griffin. So I want I want the world to know some of the stuff that I know and let him talk talk a little bit about just um, his story and just how he got there. So Fred, in, introduce yourself to the people and we'll start, you know, we'll get into it from there. <laughs> I, you know, I, I wanted to say something. You, you said, uh, you know, one of my best friends. Yeah, absolutely. My brother, like you call your mom, mom. You call my mom, mom. We, we really miss things. You know what I mean? So right. friendship is more like brotherhood than real brotherhood. You know what I'm saying? I, I I didn't I was I was blessed to be around you guys. So I wanted to say this. I'm, my name is Fred White. I'm from Griffin, Georgia, born and raised. Um went to the University of Tennessee, 1995 to 1999. Uh got up a couple opportunities to play at the next level, played in the XFL as well. Um which was, that's a whole nother story, but <laughs> that was funny. But um, so I want to, I want to, because you, you mentioned it and your story, it, you, you, and, you and Big Brother, Ben Tally, you, you guys can't go probably 24, 48 hours without mentioning Griffin. And I, I love that because <laughs> I'm the same way about getting, you know, we, we love where we're from and it, it's a, such a huge part of what makes us what we are. I want you to start just start right there. Let, let's talk about Griffin because that we we know the who you know Fred White. Let's let's talk about Griffin. And I'm not even talking about the sports, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Tell me about Griffin, what it was like growing up there, and just you know walk me through that a little bit. Man, it, back in my day growing up, man, it was a small mill town. It was a mill town that had like textile mills. We made uh, you can't find a person in our city that did not have um, a family member that worked in the textile mills. And it was Dundee Mills, Signal Mills, and it was something, a few other, but I know my mom worked at uh, Signal Mill, and my dad and some of my aunties and uncles worked at Dundee. Even my, my little brother who started the brand, he actually worked there too, before they shut down. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a textile mill city, man, where a lot of people, it was a booming economy back in the day growing up. Everybody had jobs. A lot of people, you know, were happy. It was a, Place where people came to get jobs because we had the jobs in our city. Um, you know what? That sounds just like Gaddy. Yeah, I mean, because we have it's a population of twelve thousand, but there were like three or four. You just named all those textile mills. It was the exact same thing in Gaffney. It was, it yeah. was like you said, booming, and everybody had at least had opportunity to get a job there. At least had an opportunity to get a job. A lot of times, when people kept those jobs, it'd be three generations working the same plant. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? So. It, it was, but the economy was booming. Everybody was happy. It was just, it was growing. It was flourishing. And, um, you know, 
I grew up in the I grew up in the country, you know, and you know, we talked about Ben Tally. Ben Tally grew up in the city. I grew up in my grandparents' house. My grandparents got a lot of land. The family has land, you know. Um, so I grew up out, out there, man, in the country and riding bikes in the country to go see my friends down at my dad's house who lived about maybe four miles away. Um, grew up in, you know, working in the corn cornfields with my grandfather and picking um, tomatoes and you know, potatoes and collard greens and all that type of stuff. I was just a country boy, man. So uh, what, what did that what did that teach you? Because I know a certain I know about the country and I know when you have your grandparents and how they grew up mm-hmm. and what they went through. And I know that they tried to instill that those same values that they had into Absolutely. Uh, it was about character, man. It was about my grandfather's thing was being a Mars man. This is who we are. This is what we do. We are men of integrity, we're men of character. And we always, by no means, by every means that you possibly can, you take care of your family first. And we were taught that. That one thing, that's why like my friends, if we can't be like family, we really can't be friends. Because that's how I look at my family. My family, they mean everything to me. That's, that's what was taught to me, you know what I mean? Regardless of what family has done, they still family. Blood is thicker than water, always. So. When, I, when you come from something like that, I grew up, man, not having a whole lot of friends. I grew up basically having my family as my friends. And I had people in my neighborhood and I grew up around, and a lot of those were my cousins. You know what I'm saying? Broderick McGee, he was one of my best friends growing up. He lived right beside my dad. Brian Puckett, that's my cousin. Um, David Palmore, one of my best friends too growing up. Like, those are guys that I grew up with. Bernard Sullivan, his, he, he's a family member. You know, that, that's family. Them, like, them boys are family to the day I die because we grew up like that. You know what I mean? We grew up like family. We grew up just loving each other and taking care of each other and looking out for each other. So whenever people saw us back in the day, you always saw them boys from the country. We were always together. High school football games, basketball games. Anytime we went out anywhere, we always were together. You know what I'm saying? So like, I learned a lot. I learned that hard work, working hard, remaining humble. Shoot, man, and you don't never give up. That's what I learned from Griffin. Griffin, we got a bunch of people in that city, man, that could have played professional sports. Come NFL, baseball, run track, everything. All those things. And you got a lot of this in a lot of different small cities across America. But the one thing that we would learn, we we taught, we were taught and learned was that you work hard. Hard work always pay off. I know that and I've learned that. That's all I've learned all my life. That's what I understood. I learned something a little different as I got older, how you put that hard work to use in different ways, but that's all I knew growing up was hard work. You work hard and you keep your head down, keep your nose down, stay out of trouble, and you make you, something gonna happen, something good gonna come your way. However, as you get older, you start to realize it's more to it than just that. But that's what I was taught from the beginning. Work hard, remain humble, man, never give up. And that's our mantra for our high school. We used to say, we had a, a prayer called a bear prayer. And all my gripping bears that ever played there, from Willie Gault from way back in the day to all the way to the kids that are playing in the NFL right now from Griffin, they'll tell you that. So hold, hold, on, hold on. So hold on to the Griffin football. We're going to get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about Griffin track and field. So me, me and Worm had the, so everybody, you'll notice Catfish was this, that we have, there's a common theme football players, but you notice the real good ones, and, and, and that's a whole a topic for another day, were yeah. multi-sport athletes. Did you know Fred White, 100, 200-meter champion, 
100 meter champion. 100 meter. So let's talk about let's talk about track and field, Fred White, before we get to football. How did you? And, what and other, it, other sports? What other sports did you play? I played football. Played basketball. You were on the basketball team. I played. <laughs> I played. But I, I quit basketball because my coach was like, man, I don't know if you want to be out here getting hurt when you can go out here and run 100 meters in, in the track and, and, you know, do your thing. So I kind of had out of sound with Tennessee and I decided, you know, track was just going to be it for that year, my senior year. But I played all the way to my junior year. Um, I, but Griffin is known for track. It's known, if you know anything about sports in the state of Georgia, you say Griffin to anybody who knows sports. They're going to tell you one or two things. They got a heck of a football play team, or they got some great athletes to play football, and boy, they boys and boys can run. Because we win the, we've been winning the state championships in the 100 meters, four by one, four by four, and overall tracking championships since back in the day. Willie Gaud is from there. And everybody knows. We, 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 we know Willie. I was waiting to see how long it was going to take. You waited, too to long to drop, you waited too long to drop Willie's name, first of all. You should have dropped, dropped Willie's name like five minutes ago. Let me let you know that right now. <laughs> But, so we're talking about Griffin, and you and you took that long to drop Willie Gall's name. Yeah, I did, but uh, but That's you know disrespect. what, man? That that a lot of people don't realize he one of the reasons why I came to Tennessee. You know what I'm saying? So like, that's real, and we don't talk about all that. But all right, so that gets that gets us into to bear so football. So no, so no, so the track part of it. I grew up watching and hearing about all these great athletes that won state championships in the hundred meters. There's plenty of them, Griffin. And when I got to the ninth grade, we had two guys that were in front of me that were really fast, Michael Wyatt and Thaddeus Shannon. Both ended up going to college to run track, right? And they both won the state championship. So back-to-back -back years, we won the state championship. I actually take that back. It's like four years in a row, we won the state championship in 100 meters from my high school, right? And then it was a year that my junior year, I got sick. I couldn't run that year. That's the only year we didn't win it. We won it the next year after that. And the year I left, the next year after I was gone, somebody else from Griffin won it. And listen, they just won it last year. The last two years, somebody from Griffin won 100 meters. I'm serious. Like, it's that's real. So, like, the track and field program is amazing. I mean, you got the same coaches, man. The same coach who coached. <laughs> same coach who coached Willie Gard. Coach Ross, he's still there. Wow. He's still there. And it's tried and true. So, you know. It's a program, man. They, they do they do what they got to do. Now, when it comes to football, we got a lot. We've had the most NFL players from one high school in the state of Georgia. And that's saying a lot. That, that, that's big time because, I mean, you, you know, that's, say, that's just like talking about Georgia. When you say Georgia, Florida, California, Texas, that's that's the cream of the high school football crop when you talk about that. And you, if you have the most in that state, that's saying something. Yeah. And, and be honest with you, when our kids go to college, we expect for them to be in the NFL. It's kind of like an expectation because we have so many that's gone. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, that kid gonna make, he might make it to the NFL. He gonna make it to the NFL. Like, right. and we had that like every three, four years, we got some guys going in. We got guys that are in college right now, they'll be going in the next couple of years. You know what I mean? So like, that's the city. That's what I was raised from. That's what I was born from. That's what I learned. And that's what I understood leaving Griffin, Georgia. See what I'm saying? I knew how to play how to work, how to do all those things because they, that was the standard in the city. That was the standard. You want to make it somewhere, this is how you do it. You follow this blueprint. And that was it. And this, you know, and I, 
you may not know this. Well, when I when I came on my visit, another Griffin Bear, Bear Tally, was one of my hosts. And he was one of the people when I before I got there and when I got there, I looked up to. And it's just, you know, Ben carries himself like that. He's always at work. All the stuff that you just named, I see those are Griffin traits. The way he carried himself, the way he looked out for everybody, the way he looked out for people in that linebacker room, whoever's on that defense. He was always, again, a worker, a, a person of integrity. So I, I that's just – and still like that. He'll get the shot off his back. And, and, and still like that to this day. You know, funny. Like Vince the same, the same way as he was, yeah. you know, when I first met him. Mm-hmm. So me leaving Griffin, Georgia to come to Tennessee, my high school coach wanted me to go there really bad. He wanted me to go to South Carolina because they track program, or he wanted me to go to Tennessee because they had a good track program, and that's also where Willie went. You know what I'm saying? That was one of his people. And I remember him talking to me about both schools. And at that time, he felt like I could be in the Olympics because the Olympics was coming. I graduated high school in 1995. Olympics were in Atlanta in 1996. Uh And I really wanted to. But when I got to Tennessee, it was a little different. You know what I'm saying? Like, Well, back up a little bit. Back up, back up. So what? And I I like asking people this question because it's always, you know, I get asked this question a lot. And I like to see different perspectives on it. What? made you what what solidified that decision to go to Knoxville for you because you 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 could go pretty much anywhere you wanted to go and you had I mean I had a, I pretty much had a letter from every division one program in the country. So what was the deciding factor in going from Griffin to Knoxville? Miami went on probation. December okay. the 23rd, 19, <laughs> December the 23rd, 1994, Miami was handed their, their, their sentence of what they were going to happen to them. They were going to be out of bowl games for two years and couldn't play on TV for two years. I had committed to Miami. I was never going to touch Tennessee. I was never coming to Tennessee whatsoever. And when they went on probation, I just remember telling my mom, I don't want to go somewhere where I can't play my first year. I got to figure out how I can get somewhere that that ain't a problem. You know what I'm saying? So it came down to Ohio State, Florida State, Alabama, Tennessee. That's what it came down to the end. And the reason why I came on my visit, I went on a visit to Ohio State, my cousin was there. His name is uh, Tommy Willis. I'm saying that because I know he's gonna probably, they gonna see this, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, that, but I looked up to him. That's my, that's my cousin, you know what I'm saying? I looked up to him, like he was a heck of an athlete. He won the best. He could ball, play basketball, jump out the gym. He could do it all. He was on the Ohio State team when we played them in 1995 in the uh, Citrus Bowl. So that, and that's my cousin. You know what I'm saying? So like, when I went to visit, he said to me himself, "I hate it here. I'm leaving." <laughs> you know what? I have a I have a similar story. You know, um, my last we had some of the same last. The, my last basically three was Tennessee, Nebraska, Florida State. I had a cousin who played basketball at Nebraska, who was a year ahead of me, told me the same thing. He said, cuz, he said, don't come out here. I hate it, you're gonna hate it, don't do it. Don't so do it. he said, don't do it. And that, you know, that was one of those things to where, I was like, you sure, man? Because it was strong, because Tom Osborne was was that guy came to the high school. It, it, it was tough, but he's like, he said, don't. I, I was close with him. Mikey Moore, he's like, don't come here. So. I remember your cousin, Mikey Moore, I remember him. Yeah. Yeah, I was watching yeah. him play. Yeah, he said, I'll do it. So we sit in the dorm and watch him play when they was on TV. Yep, yeah. sure did. But I, but you know, I forgot where I was going with it. I'm so sorry. no, you, you, no, you, you, you visited Ohio State. 
Oh yeah, you, you had your Alabama, Florida State, Tennessee. Yeah. You, you had your your last. So, group so I quite naturally, when my cousins say I'm not gonna be here, when he told me that, it kind of took them out to run. You know what I'm saying? So Florida State basically told me I was gonna redshirt okay. my freshman year. Now for me, that was tough because I was the number two corner in the country coming out of high school. How the hell are you gonna tell me I'm a redshirt? I'm playing somewhere. Now, especially when Tennessee and Alabama and Miami don't told me I can play. My freshman year, now we know now, we know now this kind of, <laughs> time to get you there. You know what I'm saying? But we'll talk about that. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of to get you there. But when I came in to Tennessee on my visit, that Ben Tallow was my host the first night. And he my homeboy. He showed me a great time. But what I saw while I was there. I saw a lot of the qualities that remind me of my own town mm. on the team. I saw a lot of qualities that I had for my own team back in the crib on the team. Everybody was cool with each other. Everybody loved each other. And everybody hung out with each other. And that was the coolest thing to me because everywhere everybody went, they, it wasn't like that. Right. It just, I mean, it had clicks everywhere. And we had clicks, but ultimately everybody hung out with each other. And that made a difference to me. And like, how he basically told everybody, this is my homeboy. He comes to school here, y'all look out for him. And y'all did that whole weekend. And the next day, tell, I'm gonna tell this story. He might not like it, but I'm gonna tell it. Uh, <laughs> Steve Johnson was my host. And Steve Johnson's from Marietta. He went to McKeechan High School. I've been knowing Steve from running Shout, out to, super, shout out to Stupid, Super Steve, by the way. Stupid Steve, that's my dog. He's my boy, he my boy, but I'm gonna tell you what happened. Steve left me. He was my host. I he couldn't pulled, find Steve. He no. pulled a little, little. He pulled a little, little. <laughs> he, and pulled, he pulled some. I don't know what he pulled. I just know he he left me. And I'm trying to find Steve. I don't know what. I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. I ain't, you know, I've only been there two days. That's it. That's my second day being there. And I ain't know where he was. I'm like, man, I don't know where Steve at. I can't find him. Man, I'm looking for him. And the only other person I knew that was a corner was Terry. So I tapped him, hey man, uh, you seen Steve. So we went looking for him, we couldn't find him. And I was like, man, you know, what am I gonna do? Like, how am I gonna get back to my dorm? I'm gonna go to the hotel room, whatever. T-Pell was like, man, I got you. And that literally started our relationship with me and Terry. Yeah, me and Steve, we cool, but he did leave me on my visit. I'm, I'm saying it, I hope he hear. You left me on my visit, and I was bad with you, boy. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> well, you, well, you know that's how me and Kat, because I knew him kept with, with us being both from South Carolina, but I had to go get him from the lobby of the hotel because he was left by, you know, the, the, the person who was notorious for leaving recruits. I had to go get him. he get him Friday night, Saturday night, you know, y'all look out for whoever picked you up after that. So, I remember the next day, Coach Chavis said, yeah, I'm going to go put you back with Steve Johnson. I said, no, nah, <laughs> unless you want me to go home. Because <laughs> he left me last night. <laughs> I think I, I know said, with Terry. You know what I mean? But that was the crazy, you know, the craziest thing about that to me was that Terry Fair was a top corner coming out of high school. And of course, a lot of times when I was getting recruited, they were telling me I can come in and compete and take his job. Freshman All-American, yeah. That's yeah, cool. I, and I'm looking at like, he's a freshman All-American. What you mean I can come in and take his job? Okay, what's well, so. you telling me that, I'm going to feel that way when I walk in the door. You know what I'm saying? I'm hanging out with the guy. They telling me I can take his job. So that's I ain't going to lie. I was, that's, I was that's playing. The, 
that's the nature of that beast, man. You know, you recruit you you're you're hosting guys that's coming in and potentially take your job. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. So literally, man, I was I was looking at Terry like, man, he cool as shit. How yeah. how am I gonna like okay? Well, and I started paying attention to everything. And when I got on campus, I realized how good he really was. And he taught me a lot. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. And it was it was a different our relationship was different at that point. You know what I mean? Okay. Tifo was confident, like he he could he could recruit you and talk to you and bring you there because he knew how good he was. He yeah, wasn't. He knew how good he was. Yes. He knew. I didn't know how good he was. I ain't never seen him. You know, I saw him on TV play. But if, my, if the coaches that recruit me are telling me I can come in, and I'm I'm thinking that. You know what I mean? How, how else am I not? How am I not gonna think that? You and I remember, right. You got to come in with that thought process. I mean, I'm number two corner in the country. How you gonna tell me I ain't gonna play? That's how I looked at it. You know what I'm saying? The only other person that was ahead of me, his name is Woodson. You even tell me I can't play. All right, so we get so so Ben, little Stevie, I'm gonna call him little Stevie because he left you now. And T Fair, we get we get you to Knoxville. Mm -hmm. So let's let's talk about freshman year in Knoxville. You, you got you got the promises. You get there. Let's talk about because I, I know. Tell me about the freshman year. At the University of Tennessee, because you were what two? Y'all were two doors down. You and Al, because I was what two four. You were two oh eight. Yeah, because you were yeah. right down. Yep. Yeah. Let, 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 let's talk about that. You know, when I got to campus, man, I'm, I, I was homesick. First day I got there, I didn't want to be there. I want to leave. I want to go home. I didn't know anybody like that, and I hadn't been around. You know, like I said, if you're my friend, you're my family. I left a whole family back at the crib, and I was thinking, man. I don't know if I want to be here. And I'm, so, being, I'm going to be very honest in everything I'm talking about on this mm -hmm. podcast, by the way. I went to Griffin High School. I am from Griffin, Georgia. My city is about 63 to 65% African-American. Mm -hmm. So every school I've ever been in has been mostly African-American. Right. So when I got to Knoxville, I'm being honest as I can possibly be. I had never been around people that didn't look like me. It, it was probably a little bit of a culture shock to you. And like, I, I'll tell you, my friend, you know, some of my freshman year, because I was coming off like in the spring, my, my grandmother passed. And mm -hmm. my grandmother, you know, raised my long my mom, but I grew up in it. It took me a while to recover from that. Like I didn't, I didn't work out the way I needed to that summer. I just wasn't mentally there. So by the time I got on campus, I was still trying to just, it's a, like you said, it's a culture shock to get to that place. I hadn't done what I needed to do over the summer. Stuff starts moving real fast and you get homesick and you get into a place. And if you don't have some kind of support system and people around you, friend, like it makes someone fast or have some of these, uh, either your, your peers or some of these upperclassmen to notice, hey, something's, something's not right with young blood. Let, let, let's try to get him right, you know, put your arm around him. And, yep. and you know, pull them out of that place. So you you were talking about how you had some of the homesickness and how and what else what you know what you were dealing with during that time. What was tough or how was that freshman year? Again, it was tough. It, it was tough for me. It was really tough because when I first came in, like I said, I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me. And it on my visit when I came on my visit, that's all they showed me. They took you to the east side, man. You know. They did. <laughs> I went to Eastside, I went to Alcoa. And Alcoa, yeah. the, the, you know, those are the two places I got a chance to go hang out at. 
when I was on my visit. So when I got on campus, I had never really been around, you know, I people I played on my high school football team, I went to high school with my coaches, that type of stuff. But when you left school, that was pretty much it. You feel what I'm saying? So when I got to college and I was like, oh man, like I didn't know if I could trust people. I didn't know who to trust, really, because I didn't know nobody. And I just remember <laughs> Brian Mitchell ran track at Tennessee. He was my roommate when I first got there. Now I was on my bed crying, bro, and tears in my eyes. I'm ready to go home. I'm literally going to get on a Greyhound bus and roll out on y'all. I was not going to stay. Brian Mitchell asked me if I wanted to go to the mall with him. This man, let me just get you out the room. You ain't even really seen the place. Let me get you out the room. Let go to the mall. I said, all right, cool. I'll go to the mall with you. Got up, went to the mall. I didn't know him at all. You know what I'm saying? Really barely knew. I just met him. We went to the mall. I kind of loosened up a little bit. I started seeing stuff that I, you know, I'm like, okay, this is a little bit cooler. And then I came in the summer. So it wasn't nobody really on campus but the football team and track people and baseball. That's about it. I just remember him saying to me, don't give up on this yet when you ain't even got to, got to regular semester. Everybody ain't even on campus. Just wait. Mm -hmm. Now when football, when the camp started, it made it different. Okay, now we at work. Now we going to work. And I remember coming in the summer and being, <laughs> watching some things happen on the football field that I ain't never seen with my own two eyes before. I remember watching a guy by the name of Dustin Moore catch a pass in 707 drill, like a post route. He caught the pass and he split Ray Austin and Fatty, Sean Spring, Sean Summers. He split them and kept running, ran for a touchdown. I remember watching this and thinking to myself, this guy's a 6'4", 240-pound tight end. How the hell he just outrun them? And I know what they run for. <laughs> I don't I don't did all my research on everybody on the team. I know what they running yeah. for them. I ain't never seen anything right. like that before in my life. I'm sitting there thinking, ain't no way that big guy run that fast. Then, so let me, let me tell you. So hold on, hold on, let, me, let, me finish, let me finish. I gotta say this in the same breath. The next morning, I'm in the sand pit with Leonard Little, and I just won 100 meters in the state of Georgia. You understand what I'm saying? I'm fast. I know I'm fast. We run in the sand pit. He running right beside me, <laughs> step for step, and I'm trying to figure out who. The hell is this <laughs> Who the hell is that? What position he played? Uh, who that? I didn't know who he was. Man, listen, I called my uncle. That Literally, after that morning workout, I went back to the dorm room. I picked up the phone. I called my uncle. And I said, hey, man, I don't know if I came to the right school. I don't know if I'm <laughs> ever going to play him. <laughs> he said, what you mean? Why would you say that? I said, man, I watched a tight end catch a pass yesterday. He's 6'4", 240 pounds. He caught a split route on the, on the safeties and outran both of them, split them, and ran the touchdown, outran them. I said, I ain't never seen that like that. He was like, nah, he, surely he ain't run that. He ain't, he ain't that fast. He can't, that's it, man. I'm telling you he that fast. So, then I, I had them. Hold on, then I told him about Little Little. And when he, he was just like in disbelief. Like, I, don't, I ain't never heard of nothing like that. I hadn't either. I ain't never even seen nothing like that. I've seen some damn good football players in high school, but I ain't never seen nobody like them two, ever. I ain't never seen anything like it. So I had that moment of clarity and because 
Dust is dirty, big, big, dirty. He's my classmate. So, you know, <laughs> freshman practice. So I was a, I was, I came in as a linebacker. So I was a pretty big high school linebacker. I'm 6'4", 230, whatever, you know, coming in. And the minute they put me on defense, I look over, there's Dustin Moore playing tailback. So he bigger than me. I'm a big <laughs> high school linebacker. And this guy is bigger than me at tailback and running like the way I'm like, oh, I'm like you. I'm like, I don't know about this. Like you had that, that split second of, I don't know about this. I don't like, know about this. <laughs> Until you know you play some you know some wood on them and then you start you know, feet, but you question yourself for a Coach Stucky told me Coach Stucky said yeah he came in as a running back yeah he was a running back I was like really okay now it made sense it made sense yeah. they told me when he ran the two hundred he was two hundred meter champion in the state of state of Tennessee yeah. it made sense at that point but bro, coming from high school you ain't never I ain't never seen anything like that before you thought, I mean think about it what. Where you gonna find a six four guy that can run that fast, like two hundred forty pounds that can run that fast? I mean, you ain't that's few and far between, bro. You don't see them all the time. They like an anomaly, but that's how that was my introduction to Tennessee football. Like, and then that was before football camp. We hadn't even started football camp yet. And of course, football camp it was a rude awakening for everybody. If you ain't from high school, you know what I'm saying, like. I'm glad I came in early. I got a chance to work out with y'all and learn and program a little bit more and then had to come in like in August, like a lot of guys did. And it made a difference for me. And, uh, you know, in my first year, man, first three years, of the first three weeks of the year of the season, within the first three weeks of the season, my dad died. So when my dad died, that changed a lot, bro. It just made, it, it made being there hard because I didn't want to be there. My dad was my best friend. You know what I'm saying? He listened to everything I said. And when he gave advice, he gave the best advice in the world. And he was real quiet, a man of man of few words. And uh, losing him, that shit hurt. That shit hurt bad. It was a pain that <laughs> I'm going to say this now, and you'll understand later. It's a pain that I don't think no one will actually ever get over. I think you understand how to deal with it. I will never get over the fact that my dad died. But I can understand why. And I can always, always understand why the good Lord took him. You understand what I'm saying? I can understand that now. I couldn't understand that then. I can understand that now. But like I said, if you've lost a parent, you understand where I'm coming from. When I say you'll never get over their death, that's something you can never get over. You learn how to deal with it. I remember when that happened and it was one of those things because, you know, we, we, we checking on you because, you know, we would, you know, sometimes come in the room and you just kind of close yourself away from people. I'm, I'm going to tell you like it is. Listen, this, this, it, it's, past, it's past 10 stuff now. So I'm going to be honest, be real with right. you. When my daddy died, I turned into a whole nother person. Yeah. I wasn't even my, I wasn't even the friend y'all knew. Y'all knew that because I got so quiet at that point. I was so quiet. I ain't talk. I was mad, angry at the world. I would buy, I'm being real, we're going to be 100, we're going to be all the way 100. I would go to this place. It's called Sam's Party Store back in the day. Mm -hmm. I had somebody buy me a case of quartz. You can buy a case of quartz yeah. of OE, 40s of OE. You can yep. buy a case of those things for $20. I would buy a whole case. They would bring it back to the room for me. I would sit in the room and I would drink Cases of courts and play the video game all day long. I never left the room. 
All the time I left the room was go to practice. And that was it. I didn't go to class. I wasn't doing none of that. I didn't want to be there no more. The only reason why I came back to Knoxville after my daddy died is my grandfather. When I came home, my granddad was like, what you going to do? Because I was saying I ain't going back. And I wasn't. I was never going to step foot in Knoxville, Tennessee again. I was transferring. I was coming back to go to Georgia Tech or Georgia Southern somewhere. I wasn't never coming back to Tennessee. My grandfather put me in the car and we drove out. And I didn't know all my bags were already in the car. And he was like, uh, so, so what you gonna do? And I told him, I said, man, I'm, I'm coming home. I ain't going back up there. I don't wanna go back. And he told me, so you got two options. As a man in my house, you have two options. When you turn 18, you either gotta get out and get you a job, three options actually, go get a job, go to the military or you go to college. All three of those things take you out of my house. All the girls can come back, but as a man, you gotta figure out what the hell you are gonna do and stick to it. If you make a commitment, you figure out what you are gonna do with it. You get work hard as you gotta work and you make it happen, period. A man gotta make it happen, plain and simple. And you know what that's done for me? It, it's made me tough, but it also made me not ask nobody for nothing. I don't ask people for nothing. And if I need it, if I'm in need, I'm still not gonna ask you because of them words. Stick your chest out and you handle it. You make it like, you come out like a man and you handle it, you make it happen. Now that might be, some people might not look at that the same way I do, but I look at that like that every day. When I wake up every day, I think I gotta go out here and be a man to make it happen. Plain and simple. You turn, you turn lemon, take lemons and you turn them to lemonade. You make it happen or you make, uh, the lemon zest chicken or whatever you got to do with it. You figure out how to make that lemon work, damn it. You right. just got to figure out how to make it work. And we parked right in front of the my, my older cousin, man. He's like my big brother. He he went to Chris Morris. He went to the Marines. And my granddad pulled up right in front of that Marine um, recruiting thing. And he said, I met the man I ought to know. I, he ought to know you coming. So you either going to get out of this car and go in there or you going back to school. Which one it gonna be? Shit. What you think I'm gonna do? I'm going back to school. And I was like, I don't, you can't, I can't get a week. He was like, no, nah, we don't have that type of time, son. You either gonna go in there or you get on the bus to go back to school. What you gonna do? And we sat there for about 30 minutes. I was quiet. He didn't even say that. He took his hat off his head and he put it on his face and he just laid back in his seat. He was gonna wait for me to make that decision. And when he made, when I made my decision, I said, I guess I'll go back. You know, the first thing he said to me, don't you go up there and embarrass me. You go up there and do what you're supposed to do and you make it happen. We went back to the crib, my mama took me to the bus station and I ended up back in Knoxville. That's how I got back to Knoxville. And you know what? You, you, you're lucky that they came and picked, at least picked you up and you got a, home, a trip home about that because, and there's another theme you hear as we, as we all talk. A lot of us have been through that. I'm going home, I'm out of here, I'm leaving. I called my mom with that, and she's like, yeah, baby, pack your stuff up. I'm coming to get you. I sat there in the lobby of Gibbs Hall with that phone <laughs> in. I sat there with my bags all day. I called the house. Like, three hours later, my mom answered the phone. I'm like, you know, what you still doing there? She said, hang on this phone. She's like, you know you're not coming home. Like, you, it's basically make it work. 
And you know, we talked later about what you know what was going on, but she just she wasn't even listening to it. She wasn't having it. She told me when I left that this is your old room. This is not your room anymore. You can't come back. So we we had a shared experience, and it was one of those things to where you had somebody looking out for an eighteen year old doing you know helping us understand that the choices we trying to make wasn't necessarily the thing we needed to do because I, I i had one foot out the door myself i just didn't have a way home so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't have a way home yeah so now so 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 tell me now how now you back you back up there you pull and pulling yourself out of that because first of all you know you you, you move from corner well from safe corner to safety and we have a long list of you mentioned some of them earlier, just stellar safeties. Trying to get on the field, trying to make that happen, you know, trying to stay true to, you know, what you what you told your granddad. What, 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 how, how did you make that happen? And I know it had to be frustrating at times to fight through that depth chart of, yeah. and it's not like you were playing by, you were playing behind some All-Americans, All-SEC. Absolutely. Type dudes. Absolutely. But you, you know the thing, man, the, the rest of that freshman year, I don't even know if you understand. I don't know if you remember this. That next week, when I came back, I came back on a Tuesday. Went to practice that Tuesday. Went to practice that Wednesday. That Wednesday, I got hurt. Keep in mind, my dad died the Wednesday before. Yeah. The Wednesday, I'm back in practice. I'm going up against Andy McCullough on a corner route. And I twisted my ankle. And I was out for the season, basically. I didn't, I wasn't gonna play no more at that point. They, that's when they were talking about going just red shirt. Right. And then they were gonna move me to court. They tried to move, after that, the spring came around and I remember them saying, man, I think they are gonna move you to safety. I'm like, nah, I'm a corner. <laughs> yeah. I'm not moving to safety. Yeah. I'm a corner. If they say they want me to move to corner, move to safety, I'm gone. I'm out. And I was literally gonna leave this time. It wasn't no coming back. I was out. I'm playing corner in spring, and Jay Graham has the ball. They run the they run they run the off tackle play, corner the the, the, um, the tackle pull the guard pull. He hit the linebacker. I saw the hole open up, and they were me and Jay. I'm coming from the corner position. I don't got pass peerless. I'm running in to go make the tackle. I hit Jay, and he fumbled. I hit him hard too. Good loud good loud hit. Everything he fumbled. And everybody was like, ooh, that's a nice hit. The crazy part about this, Jim, when I was in high school, I didn't want to hit nobody because I was a cover corner. I played quarterback my junior year. So I wasn't hitting nobody. You feel what I'm saying? That did something. Because they were trying to move me to a different position. I'm already mad because I didn't play my freshman year. I'm embarrassed because I didn't play my freshman year. I knew I was going to play my freshman year. You know what I'm saying? Literally, the week my dad died, Coach Fulman called me in his office on Tuesday and told me to call my mom and my dad. And I was like, what did I do? He said, let them know that you're going to be playing in this game and they need to come. So I called him from his office, talked to my mom, on speakerphone, talked to my dad. They were both excited, happy, and they were coming to see me. He died that Thursday. He died that Wednesday night. That was Tuesday. He died that Wednesday night. I had just talked to him on the phone. He died that night. My mama came to get me that Thursday morning, that Thursday afternoon. So 
Yeah, it, man, it, that was real. My freshman year was not, it wasn't no joke. I was an 18 year old kid going through grown up, grown up um, situations, man. And I didn't have nobody that was in my age group that understood what I was going through. You know what I'm saying? Like, even the girls that I was trying to date, they had no idea what I was going through. They didn't know how to tell, they, she was too heavy for them. Right. It was way too heavy for them. It was too heavy for me. It was too heavy for my teammates. So I always felt like I was by myself. You know what I'm saying? I really did. I felt like I was alone. I was alone in a city and a school that, you know, wanted me to be there, but I didn't know if I really wanted to be there because I was going through so much pain and so much hurt, you know? And I'll tell you, it was so hard for us to try to, because I, I told you, I would walk in that room, light, completely black, lights out, yeah. you either under the covers, talking on the phone, playing that game, doing something. They wouldn't even look, look at you when you walk in the door. Oh. It was hard to try to figure out how to connect, like, we knew what was wrong, but it was trying to, we're teenagers too. I'm you, you 18, I'm 19, trying to yeah. figure out how to pull another team, you know, to try to get, get you out of, you know, where, that place you were in. I know it was tough. And, and you know, during that time period, the one person I was the closest to at that time, I was Terry Fair yeah. because he lost his dad. And when I found out my dad died, I went and knocked on Leonard door, your door, your sweet mate door, ain't nobody opened door. The only person opened door was Terry. And it was like, when I told him, he hugged me, man. He gave me love. He showed me love. I'm like, man, we got you, bro. So he he was that one person that could always come say something to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, man, come on, man, you got to go to class. You, you know, we need you. That type of stuff started to open me up a little bit. And I think when y'all saw me started to come out of my room a little bit more, open my door a little bit more. Y'all started talking to me too. And to be honest with you, man, if it wasn't for y'all, I would have left. I was gone. I was every bit of gone. I, was, I never was gonna touch Tennessee again. Think about it. I came to Tennessee and two of the worst things ever happened to me happened to me. You feel what I'm saying? I, absolutely. Now, I, I know that it was rough coming out of that now. Take take me back to the to the J Graham. What did that do for you and to you after the J Graham? That that, that J Graham tap played in practice. <laughs> what the practice name? What the mean room the next day? Coach Ramsey told me, "Hey man, I think I want to try your safety." I'm like, "No, <laughs> no, no, <I'm> like, <laughs> Listen, let me tell you something. The depth chart at corner was a whole lot easier to navigate. You had the Ron Jenkins, you had Terry Phil. I was already second corner. I knew I was going to be the second corner on both sides. I felt like that. You know what I'm saying? No disrespect to anybody else on the team, but I felt like I had a chance to be number two on either one of them sides. Plain and simple. That's how I felt. And <laughs> the safety locker room, the safeties were, it was a different beast, dog. You listen, man, you had Corey Gaines, Tori Noel, Sean Summers, Ray Austin, and then they gonna bring back Jason Parker. Jason Parker. He all American. Yeah. I ain't never gonna touch the football field. <laughs> they want me to leave. That's how I felt. Like, man, they must really want me gone. They moved me to say they don't want me to be here. But I remember having a conversation with my uncle and him saying to me, if you don't make the play, you need to be around the ball every play. When they look up, they need to see your number. Like, man, he always around the ball. And that was my thought process. You got to go out here and you got to show them you can ball. I remember calling my mama and I was telling her they moved me to safety. I was ready to leave, whatever, whatever. And she was like, well, this is the one thing she said to me, man. My mama didn't even, 
She didn't play no sports. She was a teacher's pet. But this is the one thing she said to me that always stuck with me. And I live by this to this day. I don't care if it's what kind of job it is, whatever I'm doing, this is my mantra. This is what I think. This is in, ingrained in me. She said, well, you need to find out what they're doing and do it better than them. It was that simple. I do that today. When I go to work, whoever trains me, I find out what they're doing. Whoever the number one person in that company is, I call them religiously, find you out what they're doing. You told me this before about work. About find work. What doing I got to find out what they're doing and do it better than them. That came from my mama back then when I was 18 years old. Sure did. So, so we, we get to this full safety room. So, I, and I know how, and, and people don't understand outside looking at like during that, the block of time that me and you both were there to, like I tell people, if they give you a jersey, you you doing something because you look around the room, it's it's just full of a <laughs> ball player. So yeah. if they give you a jersey and they dress you out, you're doing even better. If yeah. you can get on the sideline for a game, it's like, yeah, you working it. If you get on the field and then you start playing and then you work it, like it's there's levels to it, it wasn't easy to survive during that time because everybody was so good yeah. at every position. So mm -hmm. you work, I, I know you you like a lot of people, you special teams stand out. You worked your way, you, know you worked hard. But you know why? I knew I was not going to touch the field at safety. Right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the sixth guy. Yeah. You mean to tell me they're they going to play Jason Parker? <laughs> right. They're going to play him. He was a freshman. He was, I mean, he was all American. He's going to touch the football field. Yeah. And I know for sure, son, someone's going to touch it. He was, you know, he was good. Ray Austin, he gonna touch the football field. Toy no way. That boy gonna touch. I knew they were gonna touch the field all along. I'm like, man, all right. I gotta show them I can play. How am I gonna do that? Now I'm learning, I'm trying to learn how to play safety, and I don't even really know how to play safety. I ain't never played safety before. So when the season starts, yeah, I'm like the fifth safety. I'm the sixth safety on, on the depth. Actually, fifth safety because Sean Summers got kicked out of the team. So now I'm number five. Okay, so Sean got kicked out of the team. I'm the fifth safety. The only time I was going to touch the football field and know it was going to be on special teams. And I'm going to tell you this. I had to show the world that I could play. Not just the people on my team, because honestly, if I didn't play well, wouldn't nobody want me. If I played great on special teams and at the end of the year, realize, figure out whether or not I was going to be in the rotation, I was going to get up out of there. So the only way for me to show people I can play is to show them I can play when I'm on the football field. So every time I'm on it, be the best player on it. That was my thought process. I tell people this all the time. You want to you make it? You want to play in the SEC? Be the best football player on the field every time you touch And that's how I thought about special teams. I'm going to make the tackle. I don't care about nobody else out there with me. You can put me out there against 11 people. I'm going to make the damn tackle. Plain and simple. If you're going to block me with one person, you don't lost your goddamn mind. I promise you, I'm going to make the tackle. You ain't blocking me with one person. If you block me with one person, you don't disrespect to me. Plain and simple. So you you showed your work. You more than showed your work on the special teams. And you put what what I what I appreciate about what you what I saw myself and what you what you just told us is that you saw a there was a mountain to climb and, yeah. and you didn't run from it. I mean, I know we we all get discouraged. We think about I'm gonna leave. We're gonna do whatever, but. 
you actually put in the work, the time, and paid your dues to get that. Not tell me about when you know going through all of what you went to went through when you finally get in a, put yourself in a position to where you earn that starting nine. You're the guy, unquestioned, the the guy. And you know what's crazy, Jim? I never got that though. You never. What do you What do you mean by you never got that? I was never the guy. What do you mean? So, I mean, because I, I saw I, I was I was on the field. I saw we took the field at the same time. So, and I and I think I know where you're going with this, and we may have a similar story. But what do you mean you weren't the guy? Okay. So my sophomore year, I started playing a whole lot more on defense. We literally started playing nickel in every second half, like pretty much every game to get me on the field. They got me on the field. They got Toy Noel to put him at the, at, the, at the linebacker position. They put more speed on the field. Put Toy and nickel, put up, and, and had me come in at safety, me and, me and Corey Gaines in the sec, in, uh, at the safety positions. I got a chance to play a lot because of that. You know what I'm saying? They had to figure out how to get me on the field at that point I, because of the work I was doing. They did. They got me on the field. But coming into that next year, that's what I want to talk about. Coming into the what, what year is this? Let's tell the people just respond. Uh, that was my so my redshirt freshman year to my redshirt sophomore year. That's when I started to play more. Then my junior year coming in, the year we won the national championship, nineteen ninety eight. Who's the, who's the starting safety? Well, that, that, that first year, I didn't play at all. Then I redshirt year, then the redshirt right. sophomore year. So I'm here three years. My fourth year coming in, they brought in the safety. His name was, uh, he was Dwayne Goodrich's cousin. Um, he's my homeboy too, my dog, um, Anthony Sessions. He was the number one safety in, this, in, uh, in, in uh, junior college. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they brought him in to take my job. Literally brought him in to take my job. And did not want me to be the starter from what a lot of people told me, from what I was being told. Talking about moving me to linebacker. I was like, I ain't finna fold. Ain't nobody gonna take my job. That ain't gonna happen. Y'all bring on, and I remember telling Coach, he can tell, he'll tell you this to you, if you remember it, he don't coach a lot of players, but I remember telling him, I don't care who you bring in here. I'm winning the job. Ain't none of them gonna be better than me. I don't care what you're doing. I meant that. That was the thought process I had, the attitude I had. And I, I man, you gotta keep in mind, Jeff. When I was in school, man, I was angry the whole time. Cause I was angry cause my dad died. And I had to prove to everybody. I had to prove to my family at the crib. I had to prove to my daddy that who wasn't no longer living that I can, I was, I can play this game. You know what I'm saying? And I knew he was looking at me, bro. I was playing for something bigger than just me. I had to show and prove to my granddaddy that I admit he came, he told me to come take over. He told me to come do my job. And I did. I was humble about it, but I was angry. I played angry. Let me tell you something. It ain't a tackle I made that I didn't want to break somebody's bones. Or, or I, don't, I, I literally want to knock somebody completely cold out on the football field every time I tackle them. I played with a vengeance that I was mad. I was angry, bro. I was angry. I was angry the entire time I was in school because I didn't realize I was so hurt by my daddy dying. I'm really being real. Like, I was angry because I felt like he was taken away from me way too soon. You know what I'm saying? It was at a time my age, my time my life where I really needed him. You know what I mean? 
And uh, so that year, when he came in, all I did was just hunker back down. I don't even know if you noticed. I stopped coming around everybody. I started doing my own thing. I went and worked out hard. I did everything I was supposed to do that year. And when we came to practice, I came to practice with a vengeance. And my thought process at that point was Tori Noel and Ray Austin gave me this thought process and helped me out with this. And I love them boys today for that. You got to know how to read film, son. You got to start watching film and understand what everybody do. Understand what a D-line do. Understand what the linebackers do. Understand what every person in the secondary do. You got, if you understand the defense like that, they can never take you out of the football field. And because that thought process helped me get them. My thought process was, okay, you might be a good athlete, but you ain't going to play as fast as I am simply for one reason. I know the defense. I know what I'm supposed to fit. I know I'm supposed to be. I know what everybody else is supposed to be. If somebody out of position, that means I got to adjust myself on the back end to make sure I cover them. You see what I'm saying? I knew that. And I knew that anybody that played with me, I had to know way more defense than they did just so I can always be on the field based on that. Because we had some of the best athletes I had ever seen on our football team. We had a lot of great athletes, though. My whole thought process was know more than they know. And understand the game better than they understand the game. Well, they can't never take you out for the field. And that's what I did. I hunkered down and I learned defense. Inside now, I still know the defense right now. You can call any call. I can tell you nothing. What everybody did, and, and that was important because you know, everything. One of the things that we that we hurt people that we that we had an advantage over offenses with was our bare defense. So your your position in that bare defense was one of the most important positions in bare is the spot that you played because yep. you could do so much with it. You had to be able to cut. You know, there was so much that we had to do within that. You had to have somebody who knew what they were doing and could execute what they were doing in yeah. that position. And that's why we were so good at it, because of the pieces that we had and how they fit. And the way I you, know, you know the crazy thing? I got to tell you something about our bad defense. Right? There was a lot of times I should have blitzed, but I didn't. But you know why I didn't? I already knew we were going to get pressure. We're going to get there. You My thought process was, Okay, Fred, the ball gonna come out fast. Find out where he's going with it and try to undercut it. Or if the running back get out, it's just you and him make the tackle. You know what I'm saying? As the season went along, as my career went along, I le- I started saying, all right, I'm going. You know what I'm saying? But at first, I was thinking, I know we're gonna get pressure. We got so many people coming and they can't block us one-on-one. Let me sit back. I'm going to sit back and wait for what's coming because that ball coming out fast. I know it's coming out fast. But as the time went along, that, that was part of what? Watching film, understanding the game, know where everybody fit, know where you fit. And not just knowing what you do now, now you understand what they do on the other side of the ball. I'm, so I'm, 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 I got to go back to something. I, I, I got to, we got to, I got to get some clarity on this right here because I, again, I was there in 98. I saw you take the. I was around, so you're telling me you went through this whole year and you never got that validation of you're our guy, you're our guy, and you felt like this whole because you started for the last two years. So mm-hmm. you're telling me the whole season in '98, you felt like you're looking over your shoulder, like it wasn't like you hadn't. They're not giving you what you earned. You you're telling me the whole '98 season you felt like that? Yep. I felt like if I didn't go out and play my play ball every week and ball out, 
I want to be the starter. And that, that had a lot to do with a lot of different things. I used to get in a lot of fights on campus. I used to do a lot of stuff that I probably shouldn't have done on campus. And, you know, I understood. I kind of, you know, you make your bed, you lay in it. You know what I'm saying? Like that, I, 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 I would definitely hold my head up and say I did it if I did something. I did. I was, I was bad, I ain't gonna lie. But I was bad because I was angry. I was angry. The whole, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna keep saying that. I was so angry, bro. Jeff, how angry do you have to be to wear sunglasses in the rain? Cause I ain't want nobody to see my eyes, bro. Yeah. I didn't even want nobody, I was so angry and mad. I didn't even want nobody to look at me. You understand what I'm saying? I do. The, the, mo the people I felt the most comfortable around, reason why me and you were so close, because you always showed me love. You always put your arm around me. And when I was doing something I was supposed to do, you always came and got me. Hey man, come on, let's go. We've been letting this happen like that. That's how you, T. Hines, Joey, the big boy, but the big brothers, y'all, y'all showed me love, man. Y'all, y'all knew I needed that love. I was so mad, and I, I can imagine because you already got that going on, and to be to not get that validation on the field because, like I said, I, I know me and you have like there's always these connections and why people link up. You know, my my sophomore year when when Leonard got hurt, I started the six games the rest of the season for him. You know, coming mm -hmm. into my junior year. I'm thinking, you know, getting in position to get ready to, to, to try to get a nice little two-year run, playing defensive end. They bring in Corey Terry. They bring in Buck. They bring in, because Coach Caldwell was coaching there, they start bringing in everybody under the sun. You got Cat, them coming, getting ready to play. So it's just like, what are you going to do? So I go from, you know, thinking that I'm about to, you know, have a nice little run to just, you know, playing in our rotations just like it's supposed to be. And I'm, like, I'm again, I'm like you. I'm like, I'm not understanding. So my senior year, I'm, I'm waiting on the, the axe to fall that whole time I'm starting. I'm like, you like that whole year, I'm looking around like, who yeah. <laughs> who they side in there now? Because sometimes you don't you don't always get what you feel like you earned. And you, but I think that also was a was a plus in a crazy way because you know you had to play up to a certain standard because again, they, they got a couple of you or better than you sitting over here waiting on the sideline. So you yeah. have to play at a certain level. And I think we had a bunch of people like that, especially coming out of 97. Everybody felt disrespected anyway, because we mm -hmm. lost all the first rounders and we had a lot of people trying to trying to prove a point. You know, that was a whole that's another side story to that 98 season that you know and, we had and, talked about before. And, and to say that too, bro, it's like I always felt like I was looking on my shoulder because I'm being real. I'm being honest. We had I love my teammates. I love all of them. And y'all, but hindsight is 2020. Not only that, history it is, is is history. It ain't like nobody, if you still mad about something that happened back then, then you something wrong with you. Like if you still think the same way 20 years later, you ain't growing, man. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I know for sure some of my teammates would say stuff about me to coaches, right? And I remember having a kind of a conversation with one of the coaches one time. I just remember him telling me everything that I had done. They were getting ready to kick me out of the team, all that type of stuff. I remember just sitting there and I was like, I just wait, I waited till it got done. And the thing is, what they told, I know who it was. I know exactly who the people were that I was with. And they were doing the same exact thing I was. So I asked the coaches, I said, okay, if you kick me out of the team for doing what you say I did, you got to kick off everybody that were with me. I said, because I know one of them had to tell you, because they were the only people with me. I said, so 
they were doing the same thing I was doing. So if you kick me out of the team, I promise you I'm gonna make, it, I'm gonna make a problem. Y'all gonna kick them out too. Cause I'm not going by myself. I'm not gonna go home and tell my granddad I embarrassed them and not tell not tell that only everybody else what somebody told on me. I'm sorry. I did. I told them that and then they were like, wait a minute, what you mean? I said, well, y'all know what happened. That means y'all know who with me then, right? They was like, hmm, I didn't think about it like that. I know you did. So if they were telling on me, don't you think they were with me too? How the hell they know? They had to be with me. So, so let me let me ask you this question. So that's a lot to to navigate through to try to you know try to find your way because when we get to the end of the road because that's we going through a lot. That's a lot dealing with personal loss, dealing with struggling on the field. We we get to ninety eight. You know we we go we we we've talked enough about that. We 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 you know everybody knows what we did in nineteen ninety eight. You made it through that, so you didn't feel like you were the guy. Ninety eight. You go into the ninety eight season. You like you have you're the unquestioned. You were one of the leaders on the national championship defense. In nineteen ninety nine, did you finally get your respect? No. So I'm, I'm gone. So now this is. Some of this is new because I was I didn't I didn't firsthand witness all of this. So some of this is is, is new to me. I probably got a little bit of it through our conversation. Explain no. to me how, wait, hold on, but just give me a second before I, I need to frame this question the right way. After what I just said, like after because I know some of the, the, the people who watched you pay your dues, the people at the top, the people at the top of the defense, and some of the other people. They've watched you. And, you know, we all know we've all done, you know, we did our things, we had our fights, we did things off the field, but you fought through all of that. You put yourself in position. You're one of the leaders of the championship team's defense. You come back in 1998. How the hell are you not given the respect you deserve after that? Just explain this to me. We got a new defensive back coach. Who is this? Kevin Just Ramsey. For, for don't know. I know Ram- Ramsey, love Coach Ramsey. Yeah, I love Even I love as a, def- as a defensive lineman, I love Ramsey. So who who took over as to tell to remind the people who the defense Larry Slade took over. He came in from Texas AM. And you know, when he came in, it was a little different. It, not a little different, a lot different. And he his coaching style was different, everything, you know, it is what it is. Talk but, about it. Tell, well, no, no, don't 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 skip over that. That's important to know because to talk about what the difference is. Well, the difference was he taught scheme, Coach Ramsey taught. He taught technique, so that's different. Ramsey taught foot placement, uh, alignment assignment, um, how to backpedal, all that type of stuff. Slade was different and he taught, he taught us things that we needed to know for the next level because NFL teams, they deal, they were, they deal on scheme. You know what I'm saying? A lot of them deal on scheme. You don't, if you don't fit the Steelers defense, you don't need to be on their team. Right. If you don't fit the Chargers defense, you don't need to be playing for them. If you don't fit the Bucks defense, you don't need to be playing. But you need to understand and learn how to play all of those things. Technique is very important. However, we just won Nelson Timpson. Right. I don't think he had the right approach when he first came in. Look, let me ask you this. Was he there in time? Did he have a recruiting cycle? Did he bring some of his guys in with no. them? He, no. he, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if he did or not. I just know Coach Ramsey left right after the bowl game. So no. probably a little bit before signing day. 
Right. And we didn't get our coach too well into the spring. He came in in the spring. So he didn't bring anybody, any guys with him. We already had signed everybody pretty much. But I just know that that spring, I got in, I, I didn't get in trouble. But my grades weren't great from the first test because I, t- I turned a lot of my stuff in late, right? That was my fault. You know, like I said, if you if it's, if it's, if I did it, it's my fault. Now, the one thing that happened was I got suspended for grades in the spring. And get this, this is the craziest thing in the world to me was like, hey man, that's just a progress report. We ain't even taken the first test yet. I'm, I just passed a test, I know I did. It just ain't been posted. You know what I'm saying? That was like on a Thursday or Friday, my mama called me, she was mad, furious. Cause on ESPN, it came across the ticker. Strong safety, Fred White suspended for grades. My mama called Coach Chavis, Coach Fullman, she went off, you hear me? How my child gets suspended for grades and you ain't called me first? How ESPN find out before I do? You feel me? I do. So my grades came out the next week. I'm passing all my grades, everything. Okay, well, you come back to practice now. My mama said, no, he can't go to practice. You just said on ESPN that he gonna be doing the spring working on his grades. Well, he gonna work on his grades the whole spring. So I didn't practice in spring, none. Keep in mind, because I didn't come back and practice in the spring, they kept me suspended. I couldn't go to the camp. I couldn't go to the weight room. I couldn't go in the practice facility. I couldn't do anything over them. I'm suspended, right? So Jeff, I got suspended for that. Listen. Hold it, oh, listen to me now, listen to me. When I came back to be with the team, it was right before football camp. I didn't practice none in the spring my senior year, coming up to my senior year, none. So when I got there in the summer, I had to be where I had to work out on my own, everything. Jamal Lewis, thank God for my boy. He would come around me on the track at UT every night. We go run a couple miles, run some sprints, do stuff like that, right? And if he didn't come, I went by myself. I had to work out by myself. I literally had to work out at the hyper, bro. My senior year. And I just knew at that point, like they trying to get rid of me. I felt like that. That's how I felt. And (laughs) coming into that summer, when I came back, I was a third string safety. And you talk about a dude who already had an angle problem. When I came to practice that week, when we put on them pads, I'm telling you, anybody that was on offense will tell you I was trying to kill him. I literally was out there. I didn't care you was on my team. I had to prove to that coach and everybody else that did my job, and they can't take it. I don't care who they are, and I don't care who it is. I don't care who see it or whatever. Y'all had a whole spring and a summer to take my job, and you ain't taking my job. I promise you that. Like I said, if it become between me and you, I promise you, bro, I'm going to win. That's my thought process every day. I don't care who it is. 
and again, no disrespect to those brothers because those are those are brothers. We love them guys, but it's football, and everybody knows how that is. So nobody mistake that as any disrespect towards. Anybody, no disrespect. No disrespect. Everybody no, feels at like all. I don't care if it, it could have been Charles Wilson. If it was me and him, I'm gonna beat you, bro. I'm winning. That's how I felt. It didn't matter who it was. I felt like I was gonna win. That was my thought process. I gotta win. Plain and simple. And I'm gonna do everything I can to win. I'm gonna do more than what you're gonna do because I'm gonna go home and watch film all night. I'm gonna go to sleep watching film. I'm gonna wake up watching film. I'm gonna go to work out after you after we don't work out with the team. I'm gonna go do my own work out at the track. You ain't gonna know I'm doing it, but I'm doing it. I'm gonna outwork you. Plain and so, simple. So let me ask you this now. So after after all that again, you've got knocked back down and climbed the mountain again. The coach Slade opens his arms to you at this point. How was that? Because again, I know it's new. Y'all don't have that bond and that background that you had with Coach Ramsey. So when you go through some kind of adversity with somebody that you don't have that kind of history with, and that's that's your guy, that's your coach. How did that affect your senior season? Man, to be honest with you, I miss Ramsey. I love him to death. And I didn't want him to go. But what do I do? Right. I got to figure out who, how to work with this coach, right? And it didn't go well. Not just for myself, it didn't go well for anybody that was a senior. You know what I'm saying? It was just kind of like, we never saw out of our hill. Cause it was like, man, we just won the national championship. The Wayne Gurus was the MVP of the national championship. You know, defensive MVP. We gotta be doing something right. So, let, let me ask you, let me touch on that. So stop for a second. So we all, we talk about accountability and we, we had, you, you, we're having this conversation, we're being honest. So coming off of a national championship season, repeated what you guys just said, do you think you guys were a little bit closed-minded because you've had success doing something one way with one guy? Yeah. And then somebody's coming in new trying to get you to do something different. When you just won a national championship doing something one way, do you think a 20, 21-year-old like, eh, I don't, you know. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Okay. How are you gonna tell me we won the national championship and we didn't play well? You mean to tell me we ain't that good? How the hell we win the national championship and we no, didn't I, play well? See, and I'm gonna I'm disagree. What, what I think he's saying is you won, but and I'm not saying you didn't play well, so don't give me, but I, what I'm, you can win a game and not play well. I'm not saying that's what happened, but I would have taken it as, as that. But again, that's an adult me, not a 20, not a 21, 20 year old. When a person walks into your meeting room and says, I'm gonna show you some guys who know how to play, and they put on their old team stuff. Okay, that's, that's disrespectful. That, that's disrespectful, and that's different. Because Texas he did that, that, he lost the whole meeting room. I don't even think he knew that. Okay. He lost all the seniors, bro. Like, we looking at each other like, are you serious? Them boys can't hold our job. Okay, that that was that was the wrong approach. That was disrespectful. Now I give you that. Now that I told, I hundred percent agree with. Absolutely, and, that, that's, and that, that started it right there. We were looking at each other like, who do, who is this dude? Who the hell he think he is? Right. And it was just like from that point, it was like, wait, wait a minute. So we go out to practice. Practice was different. You know, it was just real. Like practice was different. It was it was completely different. We didn't do the footwork drills and stuff we used to do. We had to do that stuff on our own. We DBs, man. We got to do that every day. That's how you get better. You work on shit like that. And you know what's crazy to me? Our technique went to shit after that. Completely. Because we didn't get a chance to work on it like we were supposed to. And, and that, that's what really got you. To be honest with you, bro, the boys that were coming out of Tennessee, 
The reason why they were so ready to play in the NFL, because they had that footwork already. They had that technique already. You needed that. You needed to be able to be doing that. That's why our clones went from being drafted in the first and second round to being drafted in the fifth round, sixth round, seventh round, not even being drafted, because they didn't have no footwork. How am I going to teach them how to do that at the next level? And I understand it that way because Bobby Beathard, the guy, he, Lord rest his soul. Bobby Beathard told me that when I was in San Diego. He said, man, the Tennessee guys, y'all always came out with great technique. He said, man, we didn't draft Dwayne Goodrich because his technique wasn't good his senior year. It was great his junior year. So I know I'm on the song. I know I am. But I said that to say this, and hey, you know, man, listen, it is what it is. When it comes to, you gotta do what your coach asked you to do. I ain't gonna lie, it was a couple of times we butted a lot of heads because it was like, with Ramsey, we got a chance to do this. We got a chance to play. We got a chance to analyze what's going on in the game, come to the sideline, get on the board. Hey coach, this is what we see, right? Next time they do this, do you mind if we if you can't he jump it? Dwayne gonna say, yeah, I wanna jump that. Can I jump that they come out of this again? You got me over the top. All right, I got you. If I give you this signal, that means I'm jumping, right? You gotta have that communication with your secondary. If you don't have that communication with your guys, then why are you on the damn field? You know what I'm saying? So Ramsey gave us an opportunity to do that. He gave us that opportunity and we understood the game different. He let us change stuff up a little bit, but we had to make plays. He used to tell us all the time, believe what you see, but if you change something, you better make the play. You better be right. You better be right. You better be right. right? So when you change it, you already knew, I better make a guy, I better make a play. I just changed this man's defense if we do something different, I better make a play. You better be right, yeah. You feel what I'm saying? You better be right. So it made us work that much harder because we didn't want him to get in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Now, it was a game we played with Coach Ramsey and we got we stung it up. And the next week, Coach Coach Fulman was in our in our room like, man, we can't we can't have Coach Ramsey like that. You know what I'm saying? So we got to go out and do our job. But it was different with Slade. We had to do exactly how he told us to do it, and that was it, really. It wasn't no freelancing. And it felt like he was taking our playmaking the middle of the way. It did. We could have been wrong. But I don't know if I was. <laughs> he didn't want to lie. So, Listen, yeah, man. So. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you when my, my relationship with Larry Slade kind of ended when we played against Auburn. The same game that Big Worm got hurt in. The same game that Deion Grant got three interceptions in. And one back for a touchdown. The very first play on defense, he got a touchdown. Now, in practice, that whole week, Coach Slade was telling us, I do not want you to switch. Do not switch. Do not switch. Do not switch. Me and Dion looked at each other like, Rams wouldn't let us switch that. <laughs> and we switch it, they ain't going to never see you coming. They going to think we in zone. We in man, though. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. They been watching on film. We knew it was coming. I remember when the guy went in motion. I look back at Dion and I'm thinking, excuse my language, but fuck it. You running this. I'm I'm switching it. I'll take the heat. I literally switched it. I told him to go and he went. He was looking at me like, oh man, we're gonna be in trouble. And he came down and the quarterback thought we was in zone. He threw the ball right to Dion. He walked in the end zone. Walked in the end zone. I watched the game. I remember. We get I to the sideline. 
who gets the sideline, they say, Fred, Coach Lane wants you on the telephone. <laughs> and he's like, what are you doing? Why did you switch it? I, I, this is what I was so, he was screaming at me. I was just sitting there listening the whole time. And as soon as he got done talking, he said, answer me. I said, we just scored a touchdown. And I hung up the phone and I walked off. Listen, I played three quarters in that game. You understand what I'm saying? Keep in mind of this, Joe. The week before that, I was sick and played against Memphis. I had the flu. I didn't play in that game. Mickey Allen had 15 talent. He balled out that game. Ball, straight ball. He balled out. And Slade hated me. He loved Mickey. He loved Mickey. Mickey was a baller, though. That's the thing. Like, we had so, it wasn't nobody on our team that couldn't play. It's a lot of cats that if they weren't on our team, they went somewhere else to play, they would have started. If you touch that field, you could play. If you dress, if they took you to that, like, the rotational guys, you could play. Like, yeah. just because you didn't start didn't mean you, didn't, you couldn't play. Listen, I'm watching the game at home on the couch, sick. My cousin came up. They watching the game with me. I'm watching Mickey get 15 tackles. I'm like, man, I know Slade ain't going to let me play next week. I literally felt like Ooh. that. <laughs> yeah. I said, I ain't going to touch the field no more. I got to go to practice and show my ass that week. That's what I was thinking the whole time. And listen, bro, this 20-something years ago, I still got this in my mindset because that's, that was real. I'm being 100. I went to practice that next week, and he told me me and Mickey going to split time. I knew it was coming. I felt it already. Yeah. yeah. I didn't like it, but I knew it was coming. So my thought process was, go out, this bitch, go out here and ball. Go out this bitch and ball out while you on the field. While you on the field. So when I got on the field, first play of the game, I changed it. Hey man, we got a touchdown. I know he wanted to take me out the game right then. But Coach Fullman went later. I heard Coach Fullman say to him, Fred White is our starter at safety, deal with it. And when he said that, that is the only time I felt like, all right, it's my spot. You feel what I'm saying? That took all the way to the middle of my senior season for me to even feel like my job was secure. So, I had 10 tackles in three quarters. Dion had three interceptions and a touchdown. 10 tackles. Three quarters. I take that back. I had 12 tackles in three quarters. You can go back and look at the stats. I didn't play none in the fourth quarter. Mickey played the whole fourth quarter. And we got back to the meeting room that Monday. Out of 100, bro, we both graded out at 30%, me and Dion. How the hell, I'm going to say this till I die. How the hell a man had three interceptions in one game and one for a touchdown, he graded out at 30%. If you tell me how that's possible, you tell me how that's possible, bro. I'll shut up. I'll never say anything bad about nobody again. Listen, I don't know. I ain't never seen that happen ever in my entire life. I don't coach football. I don't been around the game a long time. I ain't never seen a person have three touchdowns, three interceptions, and a touchdown in the same game and grade out at thirty percent out of hundred. If you tell me that you've seen that, I'm I'm all ears. So. <clears throat> And I, I, I graded out at 
I graded out at 30%, and I have 12 tackles. How do we grade out at 30%? And that day ceased my relationship with him for good. I literally didn't have, I don't ever have to, I, I didn't, at that point, I didn't have to say anything to him ever again because I felt like now you just picking. You know what I'm saying? Because so I'm about to tell you something. So, out of the whole story, it's just like when I, because I'm a person, I, I read like this, I get a story together yeah. in my head. And I, what, what is your shirt? What, hold your shirt up. What, what's on, the, on your, what does that say? No excuses. So, I want this. I want to fast. So I want to do a little time jump. I want to get from from that to because and we had this conversation with with with, with Riggs and other people and, and my the that the stuff that you go through and you may not know it at the time. It makes you like where we are right now. That makes up where we are right now. Part of what we're having this conversation for is to not just because we want to get to some of your endeavors and what you're doing right now. But I think it's important for people to understand. What put and now we're talking Fred White right now. We got a whole bunch of deuce during that story. Mm-hmm. Now it's important to understand for people because the two what, are different and people don't even understand that. We talk about so it's just this JC and Jeff. We ask that question yep. a lot of times. It's like <laughs> and listen, and our friends will say that they'll say, right. I don't like JC, but I love <laughs> I right. don't like deuce, but I love Fred. Right. It's true. So I, I want so now we want to like all of that leads up to and there there's some some things in between but no excuse and what you're doing right now because I, I know this story I want you to talk about this story and where where you're at right now just just let's talk about no excuses right now I gotta say this one thing before we do that though the last same situation I mean I don't I don't dislike nobody no more it is what it is what happened happened plain and simple you know what I'm saying. I was 18, 19, 20 something years old when everything happened. It is what it is. Look, man, I don't think like I did when I was younger. And I look at it and I say, I thank the good Lord for, my, for the life I have right now. I feel like I'm winning, bro. Regardless of whether I played any years in the NFL or not, or somebody helped me, like held me back from playing in that, or if I didn't play because it was good Lord himself didn't want me to be there. I ain't worried about all that. I live for what, what's going on right now. I'm thinking 10 years down the road, five, 10 years down the road from now. You know what I'm saying? And that's where I'm at in life. If I ever see him again, I still, I always speak. I'm always be respectful because you're elder, plain and simple. Do I agree with some of the things that happened back in the day? I don't, but it is what it is. I can keep it moving. I know how to be, I know how to, I know how to be a friend to somebody or be an acquaintance of somebody and not have to be present. Right. Plain and simple. So what I'm doing right now, I'm, uh, I do pharmaceutical work. I work for a company um, based out of Charleston, South Carolina. We do a lot of, I do pharmaceutical work. So, but my brother started a clothing line and it ties all in because, bro, work hard, remain humble, never give up. My brother had been in some, you know, a couple issues, had a couple issues, you know, legal issues. And we had a conversation one time and I just, you know, me being big brother, I was just mad at him because I was disappointed. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause he had so much more in him to give the world. You feel me? And I remember telling him, I said, man, all, everything you give me is an excuse. You ain't giving me now. I'm tired. I don't hear no more damn excuses. You know what I'm saying? And based off of that, 
he literally not based off of that, but man, he he went and made a couple shirts for himself, just motivate himself. And the shirts had no excuses on it. It was a circle with a line, and then the word excuses. No excuses. Hold on, let me ask before you get before you even go on that. So think back to that conversation you had with like your grandfather, your uncle. They may and other people, but your mom, they may not have said the words no excuses to you, but mm-hmm. did they they never accepted any of your excuses. That's mm-hmm. something that was that was like that. You see how those things are are, are passed down, and sometimes yeah. you don't even know it, and you just it, it manifests itself from you to your brother in a different way. Yeah, it did, it did. But it, it, you know that's why I work so hard, Jim. You know what I'm saying? And you want to be number one? Go bust your ass and do it. No excuses. Why you think I do what I do every time I get a new job? No excuses. You, I want to be number one. I ain't. That ain't never gonna leave. I like winning. I love to win. I ain't lost a whole lot. You feel what I'm saying? I love to win, bro. I love to win. So I'm saying that to say this. I was gonna do everything it took. Plain and simple. He was too. We always, we gonna always work hard. He worked hard, he busted his butt at every job he had, and he been number one of the best workers there. Everywhere he been, right? But I ain't never got a promotion. He worked hard every day. Remain humble, and he ain't never gave up. Me, I work hard every day. I had to work hard every day I was at UT to try to keep my job, even try to get one, to get on the field. I remain humble. I ain't never say nothing out to nobody. I ain't never say nothing in the media. I ain't never do none of that. I kept it to myself. You know what I'm saying? I just grind and I work. Some of this stuff I told you tonight, you didn't even know. You feel me? And we talk about everything. You know, you know damn near everything about me. But I said that to say, bro, I didn't, I didn't have a choice because I ain't had nothing to go back to. You know what I'm saying? I have a choice, I ain't had nothing to go back to. But I'm saying that to say this about no excuses now. I ain't have no excuses to give in, and I ain't got none now. I'm happy I, I, with everything that happened in my life because it brought me to who I am today. It made me the man I am right now. And I did it all by working hard, remaining humble, and never giving up, and making zero excuses. Plain and simple. It is what it is. You got to go out there and you got to get it for yourself. Ain't nobody going to give you a thing. My granddaddy taught me that a long time ago. Ain't nobody in this world going to give you not one thing. You got to work for it, and you got to get it for yourself. That's it. And I want you to tell, because I hold it up again, I want you to tell people how they can find it, because I'm proud of that story of how it evolved. I watched it evolve over a couple of years. I'm proud of your brother and I'm proud of you for, you know, for, for supporting him, for, for, for your part in what you played in that. And I just like to see that uh, be successful, man. Just tell people how they can not support, how they can be a part and just uh, be a part of that brand and, and, you know, what you guys are doing. Hey, let, let me see. Okay, I got to say this first about the brand. The brand is very indicative of my family and my city. My city is like that. My city don't never give up. You feel what I'm saying? The people in my city, they bust their ass. They work hard every day for everything they get. And some of them ain't getting a whole lot, but they getting what they can. You know what I'm saying? And again, the right way. We work hard, man. That's all we know. We work hard, we remain humble, and we ain't never gave up. That's the city. That's what our city built off of. You know what I'm saying? So that that have been that, that been our mantra, 
it means something to us, but it also means something to our city because a lot of people can relate. Who ain't been through some situation where they had to remain humble or they've been working hard and they're just keeping their head down and just living life? They're doing it. They're trying to make something happen for themselves. That's what life is about. You know what I'm saying? I feel like there's a lot of people that can relate to what we're trying to do and what we're saying, our message. And the story means a lot because it's real and it's true. We don't bust our butt for a long time, bro. I don't been one of the top sales rep, if not the top sales rep in every job I ever been in. You realize I ain't never had a promotion in my entire life. I've never once had a promotion ever. But guess what? I still work hard. I remain humble and I will never give up. I keep fighting to try to be the best person in the company or the best sales rep or whatever it may be. I want to be the best. If I'm in it, I got to be the best. My grandfather told me a story a long time ago. This is his thing. He said, you be the best at everything you do, regardless of what it is. I don't care who else doing it. And this is his word. And I got to say it like this because it makes it funny to me. And I laugh by it and I live by it. You got to be the best you can be at everything you do. I don't care if you're, excuse my language, people, but I'm going to be real. I don't care if you're a shithole digger. You be the best shithole digger the world has ever seen. That's right. That's exactly what he told me. And I, ain't never, and I ain't never been went away from that. That's what I live by every day. If I'm doing it, I'm trying to be the best. I ain't trying to be second to nobody. So uh, with that, Kathy, I want you to jump in here. I, I, I want to get somebody else's point of view. I want I want you to give me your give me your favorite Deuce story, or like it, it, it could be any time from a show when he was playing. I got one other play before you do that, bro. I'm coming. I'm not finished yet. I'm coming back to you. Okay. We're, not, we're not done. I tell you what, I, I started this thing and, and I'm sitting here, man. I'm getting choked up. I love you, Fred. I love you, JC. Y'all have done a lot for me. Billy's done a lot for me. And I'm sitting there thinking I started out as a truck driver, thinking I was going to be somebody in sports media. And I had to, I quit a job this past March and COVID hit two weeks later. I had to jump because people were laughing at me. Said, what do you mean you're going to do that? And I did it. And I'm listening to Fred's story. And I, man, we, we were, I relate to you. And you've motivated me, man. I, I, I was coming under an avalanche, man. I'm, I've, I've got to prove all these people wrong. And I've got all these people counting on me. Mm -hmm. It's all on my shoulder. And mm -hmm. it's getting heavy. And th this, this was a godsend. This show right here was a godsend. I'm motivated now. But... The, the all-time best show that we've ever had on Volunteer Road Show, we had to do it on a on a side channel because I was trying to get some sponsors called Locker Room. Mm -hmm. And Fred White came in and talked to Billy and me and Fred, and they just went down all the stories they had, the locker room with Al Wilson. Mm -hmm. And Fred, I tell everybody, nobody can tell a story like Fred White. I don't, I, I've never heard anybody tell a story like it. I'm sitting here listening. I was in my truck, Fred. I had pull over on a rest area to do that show with you. I was I doing the show I remember that. in the truck. I remember I mean, that. that's the back in the, the humble day. We're still humble. Yeah, and I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm, I'm like, I'm living a dream. I'm living a dream. I'm getting to talk to legends. I'm living with, with, with big, big worm. I'm living a dream. So, and I'm sitting here listening to this story by Fred, the locker room with, with Fred, with Al Wilson and the Memphis game, the Auburn game. I felt like I was right 
right. there in that locker room. That's right. And his so. his the way and and emo Fred Billy did a show. I'm producing y'all. It's kind of like what it is right now. You can't see me, and I'm sitting there. Them breaking down the Georgia State game. Man, these guys. They were dog. They were talking about dogs. That was when y'all talking about Jawan Jennings being a dog. Yeah, y'all had the dog back right, when y'all yeah. played. And I'm sitting here listening, and I'm already planning how I'm going to promote this show. This is what Jeremy Pruitt needs to see. These players need to see. These fans need to see what y'all are talking about because we ain't seen this in a long time. Can I? Can I, I just say something about that? I want to jump in because you you talk about motivation, and, and, and Deuce knows this. He, he's been doing right and like he's had his own show for a long time and that was one of my motivations to watch the way he used to prepare and if you ask him something about a position about somebody I'm like man how do you like this just is this week how do you know this the preparation he used to put into doing this kind of thing like he's one of my inspirations for doing this like the way I prepare you know this the way I prepare for before I come on here that's one thing he used to tell me I'm like how do you do that you have to be prepared when you go into something. And, you know, he would come when he, he would have his radio show or all somebody's radio show. He would bring me on if I was in town and let me get on there and run my mouth and talk and, you know, do whatever. So I, I owe a lot to him just for even us having, you know, sitting here right now having this conversation. And me, it feels weird me asking you questions because you're, you're the guy. This is your field of expertise and what you do. But I appreciate you coming on and just, you know, indulging me in my line of questioning and, and going down memory lane and just talking about yourself. Like I said, I wanted people to get to know you and your story a little bit more. So now I think they have a better appreciation just for what you, you did, how you everything else. You just said something about my radio show. I got some story. I, I got a real something to unpack for that. So when I first started doing radio, I got a phone call from um, Dave Hooker and John Adams. Asked me to come be just do a, a, a Friday show with them, you know, as a guest. And I remember it was in North Knoxville. It was uh, it was on um, what's the name of that road? Not going it. Um, I just know it was in North Knoxville. I can't remember the name of the road, but um, I can see it with my own. I can see it. It's right where uh, what's that burger place that's in North in Knoxville in like the North Knoxville area in Fountain City. It was in Fountain City. That's where it was. That road right down Fountain City. That's where we did our first show. It was at a jewelry store. And it's crazy that I remember that, but I, I remember that. First time I ever did radio, I had a blast. I kicked it. We had fun. I thought it was just a one-off thing. I'm never going to do radio. I'm, that was it, you know? I get a phone call on that Monday. After they did the show that Friday, that Monday I get a phone call and they said to me, how would you like to come do the show every Friday? We got an idea. We can call it Fred on Fridays or Football Fridays with Fred, whichever one you, which one you think. So we decided with Football Fridays with Fred. So I started doing radio right after that. That, that really started my radio career with Dave Hooker and John Adams. And I'm gonna tell you, man, I learned a lot from those two guys. I mean, they taught me everything. You know what I mean? Everything I learned in the game, they taught me. But you ought to know this about me, Jeff. I just said it earlier. Learn what they do and do it better than them. That was my thought process. So that's how I came out with the idea for my show. And I wanted to do my own show. And at this time I was working at Verizon and uh, 
I lost my job at Verizon. And I had money saved up. I'll tell you exactly how much I had. I had $15,000 saved, right? I was making really good money at Verizon. When I lost my job, I went and I talked to some of the stations in there, the station that I was with, and asked them if I could do my own show, you know, whatever, you know, blah, blah. I ain't gonna say who said it, but I had a phone, couple phone calls later and people were saying, basically some of the people from the station were like, nobody wants to hear you on the show by yourself. I just remember them saying that to me. I, it, it ain't how I heard it, it's exactly what it was, how it was said. You feel me? Knowing me, you already knew I had to go do a show at that point. So I went looking. And I found this one guy. He was it was ESPN Radio Knoxville. I can't remember his name, but he on my friend, he on my friend thing on Facebook. Um, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, but he was the guy. And he would come talk to me. We sat down. We all figured out how we would get on ESPN Radio Knoxville, right? And have my own show. The week before I'm supposed to debut a show, he got fired. So now I got to come in and put in my own money. So I put down my own money. I started using my own cash that I had. I had no job. No job. But I had to make it work. It was what I wanted to do. It was what I believed I could do. Now, I don't know how many people can go three, four months without a job and still be okay. But that, that was my situation. I went three, four months and I ain't had a job. But I'm doing this radio show. And the money I got is just it. That's all I got. So I'm paying for airtime. I ain't got no sponsors. I don't have any sponsors. I'm paying my airtime for myself. And I'm grinding it, trying to do everything I can. I'm learning the game. I'm doing the game. And I'm doing my own show. But what people don't realize and what people will not even understand, during those first four months, I became homeless. I bet on myself, I do it again. I bet on myself every day. Every morning when I wake up, I bet on me. I'm gonna bet on me 10 times out of 10. So I put that money down, I used through all that money. I was down to probably about the last thousand dollars when I ain't had nowhere to stay. I had to figure out if I was gonna do another radio show for another month or two, or I'm gonna try to find me somewhere to stay. Cause I ain't got no, I ain't got nowhere to live. The radio show was doing well though. It was starting to get some love. I had a great lineup and guests. All my former teammates was coming on. It was going well. I was proving, in my opinion, I was proving people wrong. Man, I was homeless. I literally would sneak back. I would sneak back to the studio when it was closed and I would go in there and just study but honestly, I didn't have nowhere to go. You, you know, you know what I'm I want to jump in there and say something about that, dudes, because, and I, I'm going to go ahead and tell, since you put that out there, I'm going to tell some of your other business too. I, that, and when you said it, it kind of pissed me off because I don't know how many people that have come back, ex-teammates have come back through Knoxville that stayed with Fred White. I, and they either stayed with him for a weekend, stayed with him for a semester, a year, whatever the case may be. 
he always looked out for people that were coming back through Knoxville. Hell, my family, we were coming up for a game. My wife and my daughter, we were coming up. We couldn't get a hotel. He let us stay at his spot, and he went somewhere else while we stayed there because that's the kind of person he is. And to to hear that you had to really go through that, it, it like I said, it, it it's tough to hear that because, again, knowing the type of person you are, but I, I knowing why you did it and how you did it to make what you were trying to, you know, get accomplished happen. So, yeah. I mean, literally, bro, I never forget this is, man, this is crazy, but it's real. This is so real, man. I'm, this is real. <clears throat> Dang, boy. Um, man, who's cutting up the onions in here? That's what I want. <laughs> it's real, bro. I was at a gas station on, um, on North Shore. It's a McDonald's on that gas station. It's right there by where... Um, it's a CVS across the street. It's another place we go get wings. I can't remember the name of it. Sullivan's right there too. Man, it was a gas station right there. I pulled up over there because I was like, nobody's no, nobody's gonna know me on this side of town. I don't know nobody over here, right? And uh, it was real, bro, real. I walked into the gas station. I asked the lady, I said, listen, I'm really tired. I just need to sleep for a couple hours. You mind if I park my car in your parking lot? and just take a nap. She said, yeah, go ahead. I'm in the gas station, I'll never forget this. The guy looks at me and says, you're Fred White. How you doing, man? I was listening to your show today. I sat down and had a conversation with the guy and everything. And literally, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this man has no idea that I don't have nowhere to sleep tonight. Seriously, bro, that was real. I mean, like, for about two weeks, I ain't had nowhere to stay. I came back to that same gas station and Eric Westmoreland. He was like, uh, he came, he saw me in the gas station. He was like, hey man, you moving? Cause I had all my stuff in the car. I was like, bro, I ain't got nowhere to go. He just kind of looked at me and said, what? I said, man, I ain't got nowhere to live, bro. And he was like, man, come to my house. I live right down the street. Follow me to the crib. And that's how I got a place to stay. And you know what? I know I had teammates and homies that were, you know, millionaires. But the one thing that stuck in my head the whole time, I am a man. A man got to figure out what he going to do with his life. He got to figure out how to be a man. Plain and simple. So you don't put your burdens on nobody else. You don't ask nobody for nothing. You go out there and you handle it for yourself. Plain and simple. So I thank him for that. That was a blessing. I ended up staying up for probably about six months to a year, eight months to a year. And then I got my own place. But I said that to say, man, people look at you sometimes and think you had it made or you got you got it made. I didn't have a dime to my name. And I ain't had nowhere to stay. And I was doing a radio show in the city that I played college football in, and I had to figure out how to make it work. I wouldn't change that for the world, though, because, man, without that, it don't make me who I am. You feel what I'm saying? If I don't have that in my life, I'm not Fred White that you see today. I'm probably Deuce doing something stupid. But Fred White that day was trying to figure out how to be a man how to make it happen for yourself without nobody else's help with the help of the Lord, right. plain and simple.
Because it wasn't nobody that called me but him every day. It was me and him talking. And he that's the reason why I can hear him right now. And I ain't trying to be, you know, get all religious on this thing, but I'm just being real. The reason why I am the place I am right now is because of what happened during that time period. It made me. And people will tell you that you failed. Let me tell you something. I will go put that $15,000 up again and do it all over again for one reason, bro. Because it taught me something. You work hard, you remain humble, and you'll never give up. So you have no fucking excuses, period. You, and you know something, Fred White? I'm not going to follow that up. So I'm going to let Fred White, the radio person, just take us out. Give us the last word for the day. I'm, I'm not going to try to follow that up. I can't. So I'm gonna let y'all. I'm gonna let you go ahead and close this out. It took me somewhere. I'm my bad, but you know. No, man. You ain't. Don't apologize for that, man. Don't apologize. I'm proud of where I came from. Proud of where I come from. For us, a hometown, college I played for, everything I've been through. I'm proud of all of that. And I say it, man, with with the utmost respect to any and everybody that I talked about in this thing. I got respect for y'all. I ain't never not had respect for you, which made me step my game up. They'll go from my teammates, from Mickey and D-Good D and D-Ed and all the boys I played ball with. You know what I'm saying? They played the same position as me. I always had respect for y'all. I always will. But you understand where I'm coming from because that's just my drive. That's who I am as a person. You know what I'm saying? That was what made me. That's who I am. That's why I do what I do now. That's why I say no excuses. I want to win. I want to win every day. Hell, do I want to be like Nike? Absolutely. We want to be right on that same playing field with them. If you don't believe in yourself, won't nobody else. And I learned this from just life itself. If you want somebody to listen to you and your dream, start the dream first. Then they'll listen. They won't listen until you do it. All right, brother. Hey, man. I love you, man. You know it. I love you too, bro. I needed that, though. I need it tonight. Hey, man. Thank you. you, Thank you. I appreciate that, Fred. Man, that's amazing. We're we're ending it. Man, you have no idea how similar our stories are.